Hey, hey, welcome Disability Law Show. We are back. You are back. Good to have you tuck in for the next hour. John Scholes here, Tamara Gopian, Sam Firu, Tamarkin LLP. That is where she hails from. And that is the professional help you need anytime dealing with a long-term disability insurer. Could be a variety of reasons, right? Maybe they've uh, you know not approved your claim. Maybe they're thinking about cutting you off, told you you're going to be cut off, or maybe they've taken that step and cut you off and asked you to appeal their decision. Get on that hamster wheel. But uh, we can uh, deal with all these matters on your own time as well outside the hour of this show always encouraged to call tamar and her team no obligation just to have a chat right pick up a phone on your own time and at least get some answers get your bearings to where you stand uh, dealing with this disability insurer 1-855-821-5900 help at disabilityrights.ca you also have the option to ask questions through mydisabilityquestions.com but uh, we always start off before we get into a bunch of questions and emails tomorrow that are flowing through already you got something to, to crack open the uh, the show with what do you got Belle? well you know i was thinking a lot about this message that i used to walk through the doors of my high school every morning and it it said on the top of the, it basically it was like a balcony john and it said mm-hmm. knowledge is power okay and i never really thought about it you know when you're in high school and you're focused on other things uh but now later in my life you know somebody put it on facebook and i was thinking about it and i thought you know what that's a really interesting way to start this show because we really are committed, you know, our team, our firm, uh, you know, legal professionals, lawyers, everyone uh, under the house of Sam Fierro to Markin about this idea of providing knowledge and information. Yep. And we put stuff out there. And the one thing that I've really liked, of course, there's a variety of things that we do other than this show, but there's an amazing um, woman as part of our team, Rebecca, who helps us uh, create these things and puts pen to paper. And these memos, you can find them, folks, at ltdfaq.ca. And we've created a new one. And this one is focusing on healthcare professionals and disability claims. Look, we recognize that our clients and people who contact us about their disability claims typically have at least a doctor or someone behind them who is supporting the claim and who's perhaps completing paperwork and doing all of the things that the insurance company typically requires to have these claims move forward. Yep. And they are not experts in this, right? I mean, it, and I say experts, no one really is, John, but because we've had so many years looking at these disability claims and we know what these adjusters are looking for, uh, we can really helpfully direct a lot of these doctors and other healthcare professionals as to the kind of information these insurance companies are looking for. So we tried to contain it in this memo, and I thought I would start off uh, talking about it on the show because this is one of the questions we get most often across the board. What is it that the insurance company needs to either approve my claim or keep paying me my LTD benefits? Right. And they are paper pushers, these adjusters. And they are, even when we're involved, even within litigation, they're absolutely uh, laser focused on getting those documents from your treatment providers that support ongoing disabling symptoms and treatment and all these sorts of things. But oftentimes I find that either doctors or other healthcare professionals, even like physiotherapists and psychotherapists and this sort of thing, they don't always know what do I put in my patient's records to yep. actually help the claim, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it really comes down to a couple of really key pieces of advice. Um, the first and foremost is the details are extremely important. The more information that's in there, the better. Don't leave anything out. Uh, include everything, everything that has been going on that is 
collectively supporting that this individual cannot be working because of these health issues. That's first and foremost. I think the second, close second, is what's being done about it. So what sort of treatment has this patient been provided? Or what is the treatment plan looking going forward, looking forward? How long will that take? What is the outcome of that? Is it going to be complete resolution or is it just sort of a maintenance thing, for example? Like I think of, you know, physical claimants, John, where uh, they're not candidates to get surgery, let's say back, knee, whatever it might be, shoulder. We see those ones quite often. But the doctor specialist, so on, is recommending conservative treatment measures. What does that mean? Well, right. something short of, you know, getting surgery, basically, physiotherapy, medication, exercise, you know, swimming in a pool, this kind of thing. And so if that's the path that your patient has been on, it's important to actually explain that path to the adjuster. Don't let them just draw those conclusions from your clinical notes and records or other information that you've put into a form. Um, actually doing a free form report or providing the history of, look, I've treated this patient for 20 years and I've never seen him or her this poorly and these are the things that have been progressing and so on and so forth can actually go a really, really long way to supporting that patient's um, disability claim. The last thing I'll comment on is what are the interactions between this healthcare professional and the insurance company? And there will be, or there could be, I guess is what I would say. So it's important as a claimant to just put it on the radar of your doctor and other treatment providers that, look, I've, I'm pursuing disability. They'll know because they've probably helped you prepare the forms and so on. Sure. But I think that they should also be aware of the fact that the forms that get completed and signed include typically authorizations. And so what's an authorization? It's you signing as a claimant saying, I'm giving my insurance company the authorization to actually communicate or contact my doctor or healthcare professional directly. And that contact usually is in writing. So they'll maybe ask for periodic updates, clinical notes and records. They might ask very pointed questions about how the patient is doing. And sometimes they get to a point where they may even ask to have like a call with the doctor or the healthcare professional, maybe with the adjuster or perhaps another healthcare professional that the insurance company has actually paid for to say, hey, we, uh, we're trying to figure out what's going on with this claimant and whether their benefits will continue. So as a disability claimant and a healthcare professional who's involved in all this, you want to have some real clarity from your patient as to whether or not this is something they will permit. Do they actually want you to communicate directly with their insurer or not? Because that's not always made clear in these authorizations, John. And it could be a quagmire of paperwork and the small print, right? The lawyers love the small print. <laughs> There's always stuff in there. And so it's important to have this kind of dialogue and, and really get on the same page as the patient to understand, look, how much support do you need? What is it that you need? You know, what, what do I say, not say, this kind of thing. And really, at the end of the day, if you're a healthcare professional and you're listening to this and you're thinking, okay, I get it tomorrow, you know, I got to do more paperwork. Not always the case. I mean, look, and we're happy to speak to you, to call us. I mean, I'm happy to speak to any sort of healthcare professional who's wondering how to navigate this. And most importantly, really be mindful of the fact that it could be a point where your patient might need to actually get a disability lawyer, and that's okay. So just because the insurance company has denied the claim and you as a healthcare professional saying, no, no, my patient should absolutely be on disability, should not be working, well, that's where we come in. And so I wanted to sort of start off our show with this whole um, conversation around this particular memo that you can find on ltdfaq.ca because it speaks so directly to most of the conversations that we have with people who call us and say, look, this is my situation. What more can I do? 
And the, the vast majority of the time I'm saying, look, you need to get your doctor or healthcare professional to do a report or provide this kind of information because the forms and this sort of thing, they're just not responsive to the kind of information that the insurance company needs to either assess the claim or continue to approve benefits. Obviously, you want to do this to to you know keep your claim um, alive and well, but is this an automatic right that the insurance company has to this information if they've asked for it or demanded it? Do you have to provide it? Well, have, have to provide it. I, d- I never like the idea of telling people that they must do. Okay. okay? Yeah. But the more information the adjuster or the insurance company has, I find the better it is. Then yeah, they have okay. the full information. And you sort of don't want to hold back information that may be relevant to the full picture of why you are pursuing disability benefits. And so... And look, and the authorizations that are contained in the forms do have quite um, directed language to them as well, John. So it will say, like, yes, you are permitting the insurance company to access this information and review this information and this sort of thing. Um, Because, look, we've got pretty rigid privacy legislation in this province and this country, as we should. Um, It's called PIPEDA or PIPEDA, depending on how you call it. And so those things have been embedded from a legislation perspective into the kinds of things that these insurance companies can and can't do with your information. Uh, But more to the point is, you know, how can an adjuster fairly adjudicate if they don't actually have all the information relevant to your claim? That's what you really need to think about. And, you know, could they overreach? Yes, there are times where they do in the sense that they may do their pressure tactics, like trying to put you into a or turn to work plan or perhaps send you to a rehab facility that they've paid for or they want you to attend. Mm-hmm. Yes, we see those pressure tactics routinely. But when you, the starting point is your own treatment providers who are guiding you and who have provided clear advice that you shouldn't be working as a result of your health issues, then that can't be emphasized enough and time and again. And I think that's the thing that most, most healthcare professionals don't seem to appreciate is that a disability benefit is a month-to-month benefit. So the adjusters will be trained to potentially contact the claimant every month or every two months. And then we'll write to the doctor again. Can you provide me more records? Can you provide me more records? I mean, we even see it in the, some of the definitions of total disability have started to creep in words like continuous or ongoing. And so they have really mirrored themselves with the idea of look, you don't get this monthly benefit unless you prove to us that you are disabled every single month. And that can be very exhausting for a claimant. It can be extremely frustrating for your doctor's office and your doctor and all of that. Um, But it is important because without it, you really are going to be left potentially in a situation where you've got an adjuster who's just going to cut off the claim saying there's insufficient medical evidence. And you never want to see that situation come to fruition because that's the worst excuse if you ask me from any insurer saying there's not enough information when, you know, you're probably getting it firsthand from the claimant, right? So let's not forget, they're probably calling the claimant and the claimant saying these are the same issues and I'm still dealing with the same stuff. No, no, okay, fine, but we need to hear it from your doctor. So that's where I think these kinds of memos and information that we put out there is important. You know, I'm going to cap it off and saying knowledge is power, and I truly believe that. So the more information we can put out there, the better. 
And with that, you can always reach out to Tamara if any of that is confusing. You're not sure how to navigate dealing with your medical team as well. one 821 5900 Let's get to our first email of the uh, the show. This one comes from Lee. says, guys, over the last few years, my wife experienced harassment and discrimination at work. She's since developed anxiety and PTSD. Her doctor and psychiatrist advised her to stop working almost a year ago now, despite this. The insurance company is saying she can work elsewhere, and this is situational. Is she still able to receive long-term disability benefits? This is a really good question, Lee, and I'm, I'm glad you've reached out to talk to us a little bit about this or at least get some advice around it because this is one where the words really matter. And, and I know it's hard for people to understand, like, why is situational so important? Um, and John, you and I have the benefit of seeing Lee's email, right? And he's actually put this in quotation marks, this word situational. And so it's because insurance companies have the tendency of looking at these mental health claims and saying, well, look, if it's specific to the workplace, then it then must not be a true disability claim. And you can see even the way that I'm saying it, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Someone has yeah. health issues and they can't work full stop. They should be getting disability benefits, especially if it's supported by two doctors. We've got a doctor, doctor and a psychiatrist who's supporting Lee's wife's claim. But the definition out of the gates for total disability and getting your disability benefits paid is if you are totally disabled from your own occupation, not your own job, not your own job setting, your own occupation. So the analysis should be that if Lee's wife could work in the job that she was doing in another work setting, and it's just that specific work setting that's triggering these health issues and that are preventing her from working, then the insurance company is going to resist paying disability benefits on this basis because they're going to say, look, this is something that you need to work through with HR and your employer, and you need to make some choices around your employment. This isn't a reason why you should be applying for disability and getting disability benefits paid. But it's usually not that cut and dry, John. And I think that most situational claims I've seen then turn into generalized claims. In other words, individuals may start off with things that have been triggered in the work setting, but when it translates into other aspects of their life, when they're still suffering from these health issues, when they're outside of the work setting and it's persisting, then it's no longer just the situation that's causing the health issue. It's now something that's pervasive and likely preventing someone from functioning at different platforms of their life, including the work setting. If that's the case, then absolutely disability benefits should be paid. And so the words really do matter. And having the doctor and the psychiatrist really clarify around what is happening with Lee's wife and her symptoms and how that's disabling, regardless of the work setting, may be the hurdle that they need to get across to actually get her benefits approved. Let's take a short break. Lee, thank you so much. You want a follow-up phone call that is always available to you and uh, encouraged, of course, uh, with Tamara and her team. 1-855-821-5900. Email address. You'll want to send one along. It might appear later on uh, today or in a future show for sure. Either way, it's going to get answered, right? Help at disabilityrights.ca. We'll take that short break. And back with more right here on the Disability Law Show. Hang on. All right. Back to the Disability Law Show. Love having you along with us. We, uh, we love it even more when you correspond and you come out and you ask those questions. 
kids. You can do it a couple ways. Uh, you can email them, right? Help at disabilityrights.ca. You can also ask uh, Tamara and her team after the show, have your own conversation, which might be uh, more fitting for you in your particular uh, situation. That's fine. one 821 5900 is how you go about doing that. So we always encourage that to happen. But we're going to get to a question here. Um, LTD application process. This is good times tomorrow. We'd love this. How long should it take to get a response from that insurance company about your claim? I mean, what steps can you take to avoid delays? Or can you take any steps to avoid delays? <laughs> Look, this, this LTD application process for the vast majority of people is the first time they've ever done this. Okay, John, like I cannot tell you enough how many people have said to me, this is so overwhelming. There's three forms people have to complete for their LTD application process. Three. One, granted, has to be done by their employer, okay, and that really includes information around, you know, the job they were doing, the salary, confirming coverage, this kind of thing. Um, But the other two forms have to be done by the claimant. And so one is the claimant's statement of disability. And again, pre-populated form to some extent, but it's giving you specific questions around your symptoms and your diagnosis and when did this start and who your treatment providers are, are you taking any medication, are you getting other sources of income? You know, those are the four or five pages that have to be completed for by the claimant. And then there's a similar form that has to be completed by their doctor. So that's usually called the attending physician statement, physician statement. There's a whole host of different words for it. Uh, yeah. But ultimately, you know, a claimant has to take that to their primary treatment provider and have them complete it. And that has to mirror somewhat what the claimant has asserted in their disability claim. So one of the things that I always say to people right out of the gates is, look, it's got to kind of match to some extent, right? So I've seen disability claims where the individual might be saying this has been going on for several years, whereas the doctor puts a different date for the start of the disability, right? right? Or perhaps the doctor they're seeing to complete the form wasn't the one who initially diagnosed them. And so the claimant has to fill in for the doctor, hey, by the way, it was such and such practitioner who, you know, diagnosed me initially, and this is where it started, and this is where we're at today. So there's information like that that you want to keep consistent, because if there is inconsistencies or missing information, that will absolutely delay your LTD application process. The adjuster is going to pick up on it. They're going to see that there's a disconnect, and they may have to then pend your disability claim and say, we're not making a decision. We're not saying yes, we're not saying no, we're just going to reach out to your doctor or some other doctor and get more information to allow us to actually make a decision on your claim. Lots of delay there, John, because yeah, as we know, sure. as I right, as I said at the top of the show, this isn't what doctors do day in and day out. They're not pushing paper every day. They're seeing patients, right? They're treating people. And so it can be very frustrating um, for the doctor's office to have to facilitate all of these requests from insurance companies and claimants having to put this information over. So if you can get it all in one go, super helpful. Also helpful, perhaps, that if you think your doctor's information is a little light on the medical forms, there's you know <laughs> doctors. <laughs> you know, sometimes they just put one or two words, you know, they're not really putting the whole picture. You might want to say, hey, doc, can you also include your clinical notes and records with this application form? Like, put in the last two, three, four months of stuff that's been in there, that, that the times that I've come to see you, the treatment you've sent me to, um, why don't we put that with the medical, you know, the attending physician statement or whatever you've completed so that the insurance company has a full picture. That can really go a long way 
um, to giving that more fulsome picture to the adjuster when they're picking this up and saying, okay, this is the nature of the disability. This is what the doctor's saying. You know, and then I can, you know, look at all of this and figure out whether or not you're going to be approved or denied. But generally speaking, if you've got your ducks in a row, I mean, the insurance companies shouldn't be taking more than a week or two to actually get back to you about your claim. Some insurers are better than others, though, right, John? And I've seen when they'll send like an initial letter saying, hey, we acknowledge receipt that we received your file. It's in review. We're going to contact you in two weeks or we're going to do whatever. It sets expectations around what that communication is going to be, which I think is really important. But other insurers, you're kind of in the ether. You're somewhere and you don't hear from your adjuster and you're like, what's going on? Um, don't be that person. Be the squeaky wheel. Call the adjuster. Call the insurance company. They all have customer service lines. Give them a call and say, hey, I submitted my claim. They're all in the same system. They can look you up and say, yeah, it's been assigned to this person and this person's reviewing it. Or here's the contact information for the person that's been assigned to review your claim. Do all of those things and document all of those things. Because the last thing you want is being several months down the road and wondering, you know, when am I going to receive my disability benefit? I now haven't received any income because I'm not working. I need money for treatment, like to pay my bills, all of those things. You don't want to leave it as long as that without some paper trail. And I, I know this sounds very lawyer-like, John, but it's true that if you can document things, it can. it's really, really important, especially with insurance companies. You, you can't rely that, you know, there isn't a bit of a shifting of paper that's happening. Maybe one adjuster picks it up and then they get reassigned to another group. And so they're not on your claim anymore, but a decision wasn't made. And then it goes to another adjuster and it starts all over again. I have seen that stuff happen very routinely with insurers. There are large organizations with lots of bodies and people being moved around. And sometimes it can be at the expense of a claimant. And so when you are trying to minimize these kinds of delays, you've got to stay on top of it yourself. And I know that's a big ask for people when they're also trying to deal with all of their health issues, all their medical appointments, like it's so, so overwhelming. I totally, totally understand that. But I can assure you that if you don't have that decision, yay or nay, so it could be an approval, great, then at least you get your monthly benefit. But what if it's an improper denial and you've been waiting for a month or two or three? I'm going to encourage you to contact a disability lawyer to have a conversation about that and whether they've made the right decision and what your options are up to, up to after that point. But if you've been on that path for a long time, you know, it can be a real strain, both physically, emotionally, and financially, of course. And so I think the overall overarching advice on this is that you want to make sure that you've put a completed application Make sure that you've dotted your I's and crossed your T's. Make sure the employer's done their form and that it is being reviewed by someone and you have a clear understanding of when you're going to get a response. That is really the number one thing. And if you're not getting a response, don't hesitate to pursue it further and contact the phone numbers, contact the adjuster, get a manager on the phone if you need to, all of that. Because if you're being passive about it, I can assure assure you that the insurance company doesn't care. And they'll just do their process and take however long they need to. Um, But if you get under their nose, then I generally find that that can at least give you some sort of results. 
Want to get to Devin's email as we uh, roll on here during the uh, during the show? You can send one along. It might appear on a future show, too. That is help at disabilityrights.ca. Devin says, guys, my insurance adjuster informed me that I will be put on a return-to-work plan in the coming months. My doctor feels the plan's too aggressive and early, and I'm at risk of making my condition worse. I Am, uh, am I legally expected to return to work without the approval of my attending physician? How about that? This one is easy, Devin. No, you are not. (laughs) So no, you are not. So look, um, the disability policy, and it's a policy, it's a contract, uh, is one that exists really with most people with their employer and the insurance company. And you as an employee can benefit from this group plan. And so these group plans have words in them, lots and lots of words in them. But none of those words say that you must return to work if we say you must return to work. A lot of it says, if we think you need rehabilitation, we're going to encourage you to have rehabilitation. And then in a separate part of the policy, John, it says, and by the way, if you're not getting appropriate treatment, we're not going to give you your benefit. Okay. But it doesn't say that if you don't return to work, that, you know, you're, there's some kind of consequence to you. Like you're going to go to jail or something, right? Like, no, it doesn't work that way whatsoever. Okay. Not at all. What is problematic is that the insurance company, it sounds like in Devin's situation, has determined that they feel he's ready to return. And so they are on a path. And when they are on that path, it is very hard to deter them, to move them off that path and suggest that there is some other path, which would include getting Devin more disability benefits and more time. Because with time means money. That's all it means, John, is that if his doctor's saying he needs more time, It means that the insurance company has to keep paying the LTD benefit if they don't have any other medical basis to support that he's capable of returning back to work. And so I really don't like the idea of Devin not listening to his own doctors, but he's got to brace himself that his LTD benefits may end regardless, because if the insurance company can find a kernel, anything to base their decision to try and cut off the claim, they will do that. So what can you do to prevent it? And I think with Devin, this is where it comes back to the idea of making sure there's current, up-to-date, comprehensive information from his own doctor over to the insurance company saying exactly what he's described. It's too early. My patient needs more time. These are the treatment recommendations I'm making. You know, if he were to return, he's risking harming his health. He may take seven steps back. We've made this progress, but this progress has only been made because he hasn't been working. And so you want to make sure that that's made very, very clear to the adjuster so that they have a full picture. It's much harder to ignore, John, when your doctor has actually put this kind of information over to the adjuster. They may do it anyway, but it makes that disability challenge and claim and legal claim with our help that much easier to persuade the insurer. Either way, without it, I think that I would be worried about Devin putting himself in a situation where he's going to do more harm to himself than good. You should absolutely always be following your doctor's advice about whether or not you can return. Was a smart email, Devin. You want to follow up now with a uh, phone call later on. Always, uh, as we say, encouraged to do so. That you've got the uh, the groundwork of the information anyway, and you do that by calling tomorrow. Enter team one eight five five eight. 
800-521-5900. That, and uh, you got the email address, but if you're listening to the show and you're wondering what that piece of information would be, that is help at disabilityrights.ca. And for short, concise, easy to digest memos, information about LTD, uh, Tamar mentioned off the top, ltdfaq.ca. That's free and anonymous as well. We'll continue. More of the Disability Law Show is just ahead. Hang on. And we are back. Thank you so much. Disability Law Show Weekly here with Tamara Gopian. She is uh, prepared to deal with you and answer any questions. Courtesy Samfiru Tamar and LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm in the country. Tamar and her team, she's got great people behind her working for her as well. one 821 5900 That's the phone number to have a private conversation. Email help at disabilityrights.ca. That's the way that works. Okay, doctor shortages. We're hearing about this. Half the people I know no longer have their own GP. They're searching. They're going to clinics. So how should someone getting disability benefits tomorrow handle their insurer when having to deal with this long referral times or having difficulties even getting in to see a family doctor if they have one, right? How do you navigate that? This is a real issue, John. I agree with you. I I cannot uh, emphasize this enough about how difficult it is for people to access treatment especially mental health treatment. I I feel as though I'm saying this quite a lot on our shows is that, look, you got to get out there and try and find any sort of resources that you can and hope that you can be directed to the right places where you can find, um, you know, a doctor or treatment provider that can help you while you're on disability. Uh, it, It brings to mind, I had a client last year say to me, I drove two towns over in order to find a doctor. No joke, John. And so he was literally driving around with his wife Um, seeing where that he could find a doctor that was taking on new patients. And so, you know, that's an extreme example, but one that makes the point that I think that without it, you really do have a hard time persuading the disability insurer with all of the things that they need, right? I'm seeing a theme of our show today, but the idea that they need this ongoing medical support for your disability is something that they look to with your own treatment providers in order to, to get that information check off that box, put it in their file and say, yep, this person is still symptomatic. This person is still under treatment and care. Having said that, you can't move mountains. Like, so I think about those clients that I'm helping who are waiting for a knee replacement or a hip replacement. You know, these kinds of surgeries that have been uh, backlogged for a number of years now because of the post-COVID world. And I do think that insurance companies get impatient, but I think it's also very unfair to put that back on the claimant. When decisions have been made with the claimant's, say, primary doctor that says, look, you can't be working until you get this knee replacement, and then some, right? Because it doesn't necessarily mean just because you get the surgery that all of a sudden you're going to be ready to work the next day. Not at all. And it may not solve for the problem, but it's certainly treatment that's required. Well, guess what? The insurance company has to wait. They don't like to wait. John, it's not, it's not something yeah. they like to do, right? Because it means they have to issue a monthly disability benefit. But I think that if a claimant is making every effort that they can to access the treatment that they need, and they're demonstrating that, there's, there's actually something that's supporting what they're trying to do, I think it's extremely unfair and just totally the wrong approach for the insurance company to turn around and say, you know what, we're not going to approve your claim because you're not under the right care, Okay. They can, though, because, as I said before, the policies embed this kind of language in it. And they write the policies, right, John? They're the ones who put the words in. And the words will say, look, you've got to be getting treatment for your health issues in order to get that disability benefit. But what these policies never contemplated is the kind of shortages that we're dealing with now and the kinds of backlogs. I think the intent of these 
typical provisions under these policies is that, look, you can't just seek disability and not try and take positive steps to get better. But these shortages, it's not that someone's not trying. It's the fact that there just isn't enough resources yeah. out there available for people. So I, like most insurers, you know, when they look at these words that they've created, they like to use them as a sword as opposed to a shield, right? So they're using this now as a basis to try and deny claims. And I think it's very, very unjust. You know, from a practical perspective, what I would say is that most people have some coverage for extended health plans under their group benefits. So I'm thinking psychotherapy or physiotherapy, some of that will be covered. So I would say try and exhaust that as much as you can. Um, if you can afford to go out of pocket, go out of pocket, though I know many, many people cannot, John. And so spread it out. So if let's say the physiotherapy is required every week, but you only have coverage for six or 10 sessions, maybe you go every two weeks so that you can prolong that treatment and in between try and do at-home exercises or other things that don't cost anything where you don't have to get in front of a therapist or a treatment provider in order to do. Like a public pool is always a good option. Yeah. There's also lots of, you know, OHIP supported plans. It's just the OHIP stuff is also long wait times as well. But you can tell your adjuster, hey, here are the four things that I'm trying to do that I'm accessing. And what some insurers are starting to do a little bit now, John, is suggesting treatment providers that they will fund or partially fund and direct you somewhere to do, at least to get started. And I'm always of two minds of this, right? Because if the insurance company's paying for it, you know that there's an inherent bias too, right? Where like if the treatment provider is being paid for by the insurance company, there isn't enough arm's length to some extent to the claimant. Um, their allegiances are typically to the insurance company, right? And not the individual. Sure. Having said that, if that is the only way that you're going to be able to get treatment for your health issues, then I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth here and say, well, you might want to go down that path at least for a little while and recognizing that you may not get that arm's length of that treatment provider, but at the very least you're getting some treatment, right? And you're at least hopefully moving towards a time and a place where you can put your own treatment professional in place. And that's always preferred over the one that the insurance company may offer. And with that, we'll take a little bit of an early break, give us some more time on the other side to get some more emails as well. If yours does not appear on a show, it doesn't mean you cannot send one along. They get answered, of course, when the show is done. Tamar's got a lot of uh, good people on her team doing exactly that, so correspondence is never a problem uh, reaching out here. Uh, start with a phone call, one 821 5900 is that way, and that email address I just mentioned, help at disabilityrights.ca. Okay, quick break. Let's get back into more after this short break right here on the Disability Law Show. Hang on. Disability Law Show, back at it. Good to have you here with us. We always try to uh, inform and uh, try to entertain a little bit uh, over the course of the hour. The crux of the uh, the show, though, is to get you some information and lead you down a better path of getting a resolution with that long-term disability insurer. It can be a daunting process. It is intimidating, but there's uh, answers, and there's also that phone call, which is exactly just a phone call away to get a hold of Tamar and her team. So don't hesitate any time to have your own conversation. You're always invited to. That's one 821 
5900. There is very little that Tamar has not heard before in the realm of disability insurers. So feel free to bring it on. She'll uh, she'll give you the answers you're uh, you're looking for. Help at disabilityrights.ca is the email address as well. Uh, what are we down to? We're down to Lucas. Lucas up next is guys. I was involved in a, an accident years ago and still have pain in my neck and back. I managed to keep working, but I had to stop last year when I started getting chronic sinus and chest infections. I applied for long-term disability over a year ago, but keep getting declined despite numerous appeals, numerous appeals. Is there anything more I can do tomorrow? So the place I want to start here, John, is this appeal process, okay? Hmm. We haven't talked about it, and I think it's important that we talk about it because most people will apply for disability benefits and will get denied at some point either out of the gates or some point down the road after they've received benefits for some period of time. And the insurance company inevitably, after giving you like a page or a page and a half explanation as to why you're not that sick, um, they <laughs> say, but you know, if you think we're wrong, uh, you should appeal. You should absolutely provide us with these four pieces of medication and we're really gonna look at this again. Yeah, we're gonna definitely do that. So can you do that and maybe do it in a month? Um, so people look at this and think, oh, okay, I, I guess so. Uh, so please, please, can you, can you look at this again? Here's another record for my doctor and yeah, I'm still not good. And the insurance company's like, yeah, okay, no, no, we're going to say no again. So thanks for that. But if, but if you want to appeal again, <laughs> you know, go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> so seriously. here's where I'm going with this. There's usually several rounds of these appeals with generally the same people or, you know, the people over the across the cubicle, across the way, uh, looking at the same paperwork and generally coming to the same conclusion, which is we don't think you're totally dis- disabled. And there could be other things that they're factoring into with Lucas's um, situation with pain, I'm assuming chronic pain. And I think what they may be worried about is that he may be on claim for a long time. Right. Now, I don't know exactly where he's at in the long-term disability process. And, um, you know, he says to us that he applied over a year ago. I'm going to assume he was never actually approved, which is a massive problem. Um, but it's a massive problem because for Lucas and for any claimant in disability in Ontario, you only have two years to start a legal claim, John, from the first time the insurance company yeah. denied your claim. So you can see from the insurers, this is very strategic, them getting you to appeal time and again and running down that clock for a year. Can you imagine? We'll only give you less than a year to actually hire a lawyer and start that legal claim. And they know it. And so some insurers won't even put in their letter, and by the way, you have two years to sue. They might loosely at the very end talk about a limitation period, but most people don't know what that means. So they get the no, they get to the point where it says maybe appeal, and then that's it. It just stops after that. And so when they come and talk to us, I say to them, well, look, when were you first denied? Forget the three other times that you appealed and they said no again. That time clock has already started to run. And the response typically is like, wow, you know, I had no idea. Oh, a year seems like a long time. I say to them, yeah, but if you'd come to me last year when you were first denied, I probably would have had your claim settled by now with the disability insurer. And so I don't want people wasting this time going through these types of appeals, especially if they're getting a lot of resistance out of the gates, right? If your claim has never been approved, then this is something that you are potentially going to be on the path on with a disability insurer for a long time. And I, I really cannot say this enough. The appeal process puts the control into the hands of the disability insurer. Take it out of their hands. 
take it and put it back into your own. You, you be the driver of this. You contact the right disability lawyer. You have these free consultations with us. We will give you all those options. And then you make the decision about what you want to do with your disability claim. Don't let the insurance company dictate to you that you're not sick enough or you're not entitled or that you ran out of time or there's insufficient medical. I mean, there's excuse after excuse. And I can tell you that when we are involved, those excuses really quickly fall away, John. I don't, I don't hear that stuff during the course of the litigation. You know, it's a lot of like, oh, okay, yep, tomorrow we see the problems here. Um, can you just get us an updated report and let's talk about settling the claim? Like that, that path happens a lot with disability insurers because they are generally very risk adverse. They don't want to go before the courts because every time they do lately, they get their wrists slapped. I mean, the last one in Ontario, uh, the individual got uh, like over a million dollars in punitive and aggravated damages. Now, that was an exceptional case. Sure. But certainly one where, you know, time is of the essence and she had hired her lawyer early on and there was some meaningful discussion with the disability insurer and the disability insurer just put their head in the sand, buried their head in the sand and refused to deal with it. That vast majority of disability claims are not like that. The disability insurers will usually appoint an in-house lawyer. They have someone internally at the company, not the adjusters who are appealing claims and dealing with claims, but someone dedicated who will deal with these kinds of disability claims that are litigated in the legal setting. They understand risks, reputational, financial, all of those things. And we leverage that to get an excellent result for our clients sometimes sooner than the time that it took them to do these various appeals in that year of time. So I am concerned really about Lucas's situation because it's clear that he's been on this path for some time from a health perspective. And now he's having to, you know, that's all compounded and made worse by having to deal with a disability insurer. So I'd like to help. Um, maybe I'll uh, give him a buzz if he wants to have a chat with us and we can explore some further options. But I can assure you that it's not going to be another appeal, John. It's going to be a legal claim against the insurance company to pursue benefits. Lucas, appreciate the uh, the email, pal. You want to follow up with that phone call now? You can definitely do so, and that would be one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. We always discuss a variety of topics on this show every week, and it is your emails that make it complete as well. Um, if you don't want to read on air, that's fine. You could just send a private one to tomorrow and her team, and they'll take care of it in the in the background for sure. Other uh, different ways that you can reach out. Now that we're pretty much wrapping for uh, for another show. Uh, the phone number, right? Always a good place to start. Quick one, too. one 821 5900 to do that. There's ltdfaq.ca. That's a beauty because it's short, concise, easy to read and understand. Memos about LTD, not in uh, legal speak, as they say. And then finally, mydisabilityquestions.com. The beauty of that sucker is it's got a searchable database. So a question similar to yours or maybe precisely like yours has been asked and answered in the past. You can use that information and move on. Just that simple. If not, leave yours there and it will get answered as well. That is mydisabilityquestions.com. And we're done. We're out of here. We'll uh, take a break for now. We'll see you next week right here on the Disability Law Show.